crisis. But before we do that, I wanted to do something a little bit different this Sunday morning. See, here's the thing. I recognize and I realize that some of you are sitting there today, but you're not actually here. Some of you came off of a really, really tough week, and you're in the middle of some stuff right now, and your mind's kind of there. You're going through a rough time, or you have family or friends, and, and things are a little up in the air right now. For some of you, you're sitting here today, and your prayer as you walked in today was, please, God, whichever Blackmore is preaching today, please let it be short, because I have so much stuff that I need to do today. Right? Been there. Yeah, I understand. Right? And you're sitting here today with a laundry list, and you're making a battle plan as to how you are going to attack the rest of the day, because you got so much stuff to do, because tomorrow you're back at work or you're back at it. Or some of you, you're sitting here today, and you're like, she can preach as long as she wants, because I don't want to have to face whatever's coming up tomorrow. And that is on your mind right now. There's a well-known verse in the book of Psalms, Psalm 46, and it says this. It says, be still and know that I am God. Now, on face value, a lot of us have read that for years, and we've thought it means, you know what? I have to be quiet, and I have to just relax and calm down, and then I'll hear from God. But actually, the translation of that actually means this. It means let go. It means surrender, and then you will get to see God at work. So before I even start this morning, here's what I want to do. We're kind of going backwards here, I realize. I want to take a couple of minutes, and here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Whatever is weighing on your mind this morning, wherever your mind is, good, bad, or ugly, whatever it is, I'm going to invite you to sit for a second and say, you know what, God, I'm giving it to you. I don't have the answers. I don't know what's going to happen. But here's the thing I do know. You are God, and I just know that you can take care of it. So why don't you join me in that? Let's spend a couple of seconds just doing that this morning. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful this morning that there is not one situation or circumstance that is being faced in this room or outside of this room that had you get off your throne this week and pace around heaven. I thank you that you know the answer to everything we have been through, we are going through, and everything we may face from this point forward. And so today, God, we come to you and we say, you know what? Here it is. I'm giving it to you right now. Everything that's consuming my mind, everything that's keeping me awake at night, everything that I just don't know the answer to, I'm giving it to you. And God, I'm excited because I'm going to be able to watch you work through it. And so God, I ask right now that you would help each of us just to open our hearts to what it is that you want to say to us this morning. Help me to have the words that you want me to say. Help us to hear what exactly it is you want us to hear. And we thank you for the freedom that we have to be here this Sunday morning. But we thank you most of all that you are here with us. And so we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are talking about identity crisis. And what we're talking about is the fact that we often 
do not make the best choices when we are faced with certain situations. Most of us are not good in-the-moment thinkers. And so if we want to be Christ followers, if we want to follow in his example of what he did, for some of us, we need to say, before a situation arises, this is how I am going to respond to it. This is what I am going to do. We are not waiting till we're in the middle of whatever we are facing. We know with the power of the word of God and the power of God that we're going to make decisions that would please God. You know, if I went around this room today, and believe me, I'm not going to, but you know, if I said to you, what is one word that you want to achieve in life? What's one word that you would like to be known for at the end of your life? Some of you might say, hey, I'd like to be successful. And you know what? That's a great goal if you honor God in everything you do. Some of you might say, you know what? I would really, really like to be influential. And that's good. You know, we're all called to be influential. We're all called to be salt and light ambassadors for Christ in this world that we live in. Some of you might say, hey, I'm pretty easy here. I just like to be happy. You know, the Bible talks a lot about happiness because, you know, that's what blessed means. Blessed is happy. God wants us to be happy. But here's the thing. If we are followers of Christ, if we have accepted him into our lives, if we are following God, we as Christians actually live our lives waiting to hear six words when we pass from this earth. And those six words will not be, well done, good and successful servant. They won't be, well done, good and influential servant. They won't even be, well done, good and happy servant. One word that we are all waiting to hear from the lips of God when we see him face to face is faithful. We want God to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is the word today I am going to suggest to you is one that we need to make part of our identity in a world where they tell you you can be whatever you want to be. If that's the case, let's be faithful. Now, here's the thing with faithfulness. It is not easy. And as human beings, let's be honest, we gravitate to easy. We want to choose the easiest path, the one with the less friction, the one where it's going to be the least stressful, the one where I don't have to make as many choices. Habakkuk 2.4 says this, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. See, the world tells us to trust in ourselves, our wisdom, our knowledge, our bank accounts, our abilities. But those of us who live righteously, which basically means I live right with God, I live according to what will make God happy, I live the right way. Those of us who live righteously, 
will live by our faithfulness to God. Now, you may be sitting here and you go, I got the faithful thing down. I don't cheat on my spouse. I pay all my taxes. I am a good person. I got this. If it were that easy, I'd be done already. But I'm not. Here's the thing. When it comes to the Bible, Jesus actually broke it down faithfulness into three different components. There are three ways that we can live faithfully. Faithfulness in how you treat people. Faithfulness in how you spend resources. And faithfulness in how you respond to God. So if I'm living my life with the goal that I am a faithful person, how am I living? Here's the first one. I am faithful in how I treat people. Every single person. Hey, if we are faithful people in every interaction that we are a part of, we're going to add value. Every person that we come in contact with, every encounter that we have with someone else, they should leave our presence in a better place than when we, how we found them. That's how we live faithfully. Every interaction is an opportunity for us to bless others, to encourage others, to build others up, to be generous, to show the love of God in a way that brings value and blessing. Now, let's be honest, for most of us, that is tough. Because by nature, we are incredibly self-focused. Now, you're sitting there saying, no, not me. Let me ask you this question. If your friends take a group picture of all of you, who are you looking at when you first see that picture? Right? There may be 10 people in that picture, and nine of them have their eyes closed. But if I have my eyes open, that is a stellar photo that deserves to be posted on Facebook. Right? Conversely, if they all look good and I have a weird look on my face, it's an awful picture. We are, by nature, pretty self-absorbed people. And so we need to learn to be faithful in interactions with other people. Ephesians 4.29 said this, When you talk, don't say anything bad, but say the good things that people need. Whatever will help them grow stronger then what you say will be a blessing to those who hear you. Last night, Eric and I were sitting um, watching TV, and we heard like a banging noise. And we just thought something had blown over in the yard until about a half hour later, where we went, um, I went to use the hot water tap, and I turned it, and nothing came out of it. At which point, I'm still hearing water, but it's not coming out of my tap. Yeah. So I opened the basement door. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of water in our basement. And so we went around the corner in our basement to where the hot water tank is. And there is just water gushing, pouring out of the top of this hot water tank. Thank goodness I have a friend who's a plumber, right? Pouring out. 
And here's the thing. When it comes to you and I, that's how we should be. We should be faucets, not drains. We should be drenching people with encouragement. We should be drenching people with blessing. We should be showering people with love, with generosity. We should be shooting it out of us, not sucking the life out of them. We need to be faucets, not drains. That's what we should be known about. Even when we are interacting with people and we have to tell them the truth and it is not a nice situation, we should be those who have tough conversations and we have them in love. If we are to model our lives on Christ and what he did, you just need to look in the New Testament. And over and over and over again, you'll see that's what Jesus did. He added life to those he was talking to. They left him feeling better. In Matthew 6, he was talking to his disciples about worry. And he did not say, you guys really should be worried right about now. Have you seen what's happening in the world? Like, do you know who's in charge right now? Have you seen what your 401k is doing right about now? Do you see the state of our po politics in this country? You know, I really hope that my dad comes and rescues us really, really quick. He didn't say that. Here's what he said, Matthew 6, don't worry about things. Food, drink, and clothes, for you already have life and a body, and they are far more important than what to eat and wear. Look at the birds. They don't worry about what to eat. They don't need to sow or reap or store up food. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than they are. Will all your worries add a single moment to your life? He didn't feed their fears. He didn't suckle the happiness and the joy out of them. No, he drenched them in reassurance. He reminded them of whose kids they were. He told them, you know what? The birds and the flowers and the fields, they're all taken care of. Don't you think God will take care of you too? He added life to those that he was talking to. In the book of John, we find a woman who was found in the act of adultery. In the act. If there was anybody who ever should have been reprimanded, it was her. And yet we read the story there and and, and there were men who brought her to Jesus, and they really felt like he should rip her apart. Like, you know what? You know what she did. You know what she deserves. But Jesus didn't scream at her. He didn't condemn her. He didn't rebuke her. He didn't tell her what a useless person she was and how she had badly screwed up her life and the lives of others around her. Those other men tried to make him do that. In fact, it's where in the Bible you get the saying, he who is without sin cast the first stone, because that's what Jesus told them. They all slinked away pretty quickly at that point. But to the woman, he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He spoke life. He added value to her. Hey, remember to the, towards the end of Jesus' life, 
Peter, one of his best friends who had, he had been inseparable from for years as they traveled and ministered together. This person who had been a confidant, who had been with Jesus all the time. Peter denied knowing him three times. One of his closest friends he'd been inseparable from. What did Jesus say to him? Not probably what I would have said, I will be honest. And he would have had every right to at that point. He said, hey, do you still love me? Go feed my sheep. Peter, at his lowest point, did not need somebody to suck what little life was left out of him. He needed somebody to shower him with love and affirmation and say, you know what? I know what you did, but keep doing what you've been doing. I know you love me. Go feed my sheep. He added value to Peter's life. And that is what we get to do on a daily basis as we encourage others, as we come alongside others, as we build others up. Most of you know my story. I never in a thousand years ever thought that this is what I would be doing in life. It wasn't part of my life plan. God obviously had other plans. But this week, as I was prepping this message, as often happens, I kind of sat there and said to myself, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen? This wasn't what I thought I would be doing in life. My degree is in economics. I thought I'd be in a bank counting somebody else's money right about now. And then I started thinking back to different people who have encouraged me and influenced me and helped me as I got to this journey. And I thought about back when I was in university, I was 17, and I was part of a Christian group, and we had a Bible study in our dorms. And at one point, they said to me, Charlotte, can you lead the next round of Bible studies? And they said, can you do it on the book of Habakkuk? Now, you got to remember, there was no Google back then, and I was two hours away from my dad's study library. And it was like, how on earth am I going to prepare and plan and write a study for university students on Habakkuk? Somehow word must have got home to our home church because I remember one of the old ladies, I got a package in the mail, and it was a book that she had on the book of Habakkuk, a study guide. And in there was an encouraging note as to, you know what, you got this, you can do this. I, of course, it does not escape me that my first verse today was from the book of Habakkuk. But all those years ago, 34 years ago, this old lady spoke into my life and helped me to do what I now do. Then I thought about when I was a teenager, and most of you know I am not, this is an anomaly. I, I don't like standing up, or I didn't at that point like standing up in front of people. I have failed high school classes because I could not speak in front of the whole class, God, completely. And so I was not good in front of people, and um, I learned to play the guitar, and so they invited me to be part of our worship group at, in our church up in Scotland. And I remember that was my first experience of being in front of a whole congregation. 
But there was one of the older girls in the group, she was in her 20s, and she said, listen, just follow me. Don't even look at the music, just follow along what I play along. And she encouraged me, and she helped me, and she showed me what to do. And then I think to present day, and there's oftentimes, you will find that preachers are their own worst critics. Oh, we are brutal on ourselves once we leave this stage, I'll be honest, and I think I'll speak for all the preachers in this room today. That's just how it rolls. Because then we remember all the things we should have said. So there's a lot of times I will leave this stage and I'll think, well, that was bad. And I'll start to get messages. Or people will come up to me and they'll go, wait, do you know my story? How do you know exactly what I was going through? You helped me this, and you encouraged me in that. And I think that I would not be here today, and there's a lot of other people who have played a step in the journey from Charlotte being where she is to Charlotte where she is right now. And for most of us, that is the case. But you know what? Some of those people, the old lady who sent me the Habakkuk book, never saw me on a stage. She was just part of my story. And that's what we need to be. We need to be faithful in how we treat others. We need to encourage others. We need to speak life to others. We need to bless others. We need to love on others. Every interaction with every person that we encounter, where we show the love of God, where we build up, where we show grace, where we bless and don't condemn, we are being faithful to God. Can you imagine if in America 2023, the church was not known for fighting among ourselves or being argumentative or yelling about what's wrong in the world? Can you imagine if instead we were known as people who went out of our way to bless others? We may not agree with them, but I'm going to love on you anyway. Jesus, with the lady who was caught in adultery, he didn't agree with anything that she had just done, but he loved on her any day, anyway. What a world it would be if we were all known as being faithful in the way that we treat others. If I am going to be faithful, the second thing I need to be is I am faithful in how I spend resources. Some of you are tensing up right now. I've been to church. Because you're afraid that I'm about to say something about your $8 lattes. <laughs> I really hope you know me better than that. I hope you know that I would never mention that if you had one less of those a week, you could educate a child in the Dominican Republic. I would never say that. Don't worry, the old man's back next week. He'll be nice to you all. Okay? I would never mention that. Now, let me just say this. I don't want to feel, make anybody feel guilty today in anything that I'm going to say. But if the Holy Spirit right now is talking to you about it, there's a bunch of kids out in the foyer who need to be sponsored because they need to be educated in the Dominican Republic, okay? So I'm just going to leave that here. Now, here's the thing, okay? If I say we need to be faithful in how I spend my resources, right away for a lot of us, we think money. 
But actually, we have a lot of resources that God has given us. And for most of us, actually, money is not the most valuable one. You can pretty much always make more money some way, somehow. The most valuable resource any of us has is time. How are you spending your time? But even that's not all the resources we have. We have the gifts and the talents that God has given us. You have your health. You have your body. All of these are gifts that God has entrusted us with. Every resource we have is an opportunity to multiply. In the book of Matthew, Jesus tells us a parable. A parable, of course, is a story that he made that was just to illustrate a point. And he tells the parable about a wealthy man who was going on a trip. And he decided because he was going on a trip, he called three of his servants in to see him. And what he did was he gave each of these three servants some of his money to take care of while he was away on a trip. And it says to one man, he gave five bags of talents. To another man, he gave two bags of talents. And to a third servant, he gave one bag of talents. Now, again, this is a parable just to illustrate a point. Talents could have been anything at that point, and that's what the, the story was to illustrate. But these were actually pretty large amounts of money, not inconsequential. The servant, he who he gave five bags of talents to, five talents to, he immediately went away, and he put that money to work, and he doubled it. The servant that he gave two talents to, he did exactly the same. He went away and he doubled it. And when the master returned and he saw what those two servants had done, how they had wisely invested that money, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. He said this, you were faithful with what I gave you. Now I'm going to entrust you with more. Sitting here this morning, standing here this morning, each and every one of us has been given resources from God. For some of you, it may be your bank account. For others, you know what? We've all been given 24 hours of every day. Some of you have been given gifts and talents. And if I want to be faithful in how I spend my resources, it means that I take the best care and use in the best way whatever God has given me. It may be that your car is a clunker. Guess what? You make it the cleanest clunker you can possibly get. You may have the ugliest house on the block. You do the best that you can with that house to make it be the best-looking, ugliest house on the block. The bodies that we are given, we do the best that we can with them. You know what? God gives you a little talent. You know what you do with that? You practice. And you practice. And you use that talent to be the best that you can. For some of us sitting here today, God has given you incredible things, and you're just kind of sitting on it. You know who else did that? The third servant. 
the servant who was given one bag of gold coins. See, what he did was he buried it in the backyard. Now, I completely get that. I am about the most risk-averse person there possibly is. I don't like to take a chance on anything. So I get it. I get why he was afraid that he would lose some of his master's money. But here's the thing. His master wasn't as understanding. Because when his master came home, there was still only one bag of talent. It had not grown at all. It had not been used at all. It was still in its original form. And actually, the master said to him, you are a wicked, lazy servant. Now, get this. Not just lazy, but wicked too. And this is where faithfulness gets tough. Because sometimes we are given things from God and we're holding on to it with all our might. And God says, that's not what I gave it you for. I gave you that talent to help advance my kingdom. I gave you that money so that you could invest it in my kingdom to help get the word out about me. I gave you your health, not so that you could sit home and play video games all day, every day. Sorry if you do. Right? God gave you 24 hours. Now, can I just say this? You know what? Let's get tough. If you're able to spend time on this, but not in this, you're not spending your time wisely, and that's not why God gave it to you. He did not give you this time on earth to get your priorities all mixed up. Each of us has been blessed by God in so many different ways. But we weren't entrusted with them to hide them in the backyard or on the back row, or to get the benefits of them just for ourselves. God expects us to take what we have been given and to use it for good. Those of you who are Spider-Man fans will know this quote. With much power comes much responsibility. Okay? Uncle Ben. Now, the good news is Uncle Ben must be reading his Bible, because actually in Luke 12... 48, it says this, whoever has been given much will be responsible for much. Much more will be expected from the one who has been given more. There's a reckoning coming, and God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you use what I gave you? And if we are faithful, you know what? We're going to be able to say, this is what I did. And so if in an identity crisis, and I say I am faithful, I am going to be somebody who is faithful in how I spend my resources. Now, in case you're getting worried that, you know what, God, if I give it all away, what am I going to have left? Here's the incredible promise that comes from the story about the master and the servants. Matthew 25, 29 says this. For the man who uses well what he is given shall be given more, and he shall have abundance. We want to be faithful. We need to be faithful in how we spend our resources. And finally, if we're going to be faithful, I am faithful in how I respond to God. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is traveling 
um, with an entourage, and they're having a great time performing miracles, speaking to crowds, and things are going really, really well, which for the Apostle Paul is kind of a change of things because he seemed to spend a lot of time in prison and getting beaten and whatever else and having a hard time. And so he's having a great time on this um, tour. And then in the middle of this time that he is spending doing incredible things, he suddenly announces that he is heading to Jerusalem. Acts 20, 22, it says, but I now must obey the spirit and go to Jerusalem. I don't know what will happen to me there. Some translations actually say he was bound by the Spirit. Paul didn't understand it. He couldn't explain it. He had no idea how it was all going to play out. In fact, he had no idea what craziness was awaiting him when he got to Jerusalem. But that was okay. Because he knew that God had told him that he needed to be there. See, when you follow God, there's going to be times when you are prompted to do things. You may not understand why. You may not understand how it will all play out. You may not know what the outcome will be. But if we are to be faithful people, with faithfulness means I'm going to respond to whatever it is that God tells me. It may be something that makes us uncomfortable. It may be something that you say, there is just not a chance I could ever, ever do that. It may be something where, that you don't like. It may be something you don't feel you are equipped for or have the tools to manage. But here's the thing when it comes to faithfulness. Faithfulness means I obey God even if I never see how it will play out or ever understand why I did it. In the book of 2 Kings, you find the story of a man called Naaman. And Naaman was a very respected general in the Syrian army. And he had won a lot of wars. He was held in very high esteem. He was a friend of the king of Syria. And he was this decorated, respected warrior. But the problem was he had leprosy. And through a different number of events, you find that Naaman finds himself with Elisha, the prophet in Israel. And Elisha tells him, you know what? Here's what you need to do. You're going to go to the Jordan River and you are going to wash yourself, bathe yourself seven times. Now, Naaman did not like that answer. He had spent a lot of time and resources to get to the prophet Elisha, and he really thought bathing seven times did not seem like that would be all. There should be a lot more to this. He also thought, you know what? There's a lot nicer rivers I would prefer to bathe in, if given the choice, than the Jordan River. Eventually, he did it. And of course, he was healed from his leprosy. And throughout the Bible, time and time again, we find different people who are told to do things that make absolutely no sense. You go to the book of Judges, you find Gideon there who has to fight 125,000 Midianites. And God basically whittles him down and says, okay, you're going to go against these guys with 300 men armed with torches and clay pots. It made no sense. None whatsoever. 
You find Joshua who's going into Jericho, and the, it's a very highly fortified city, and God said, okay, this is how you're going to do it. Basically, you're going to march around it, and you're going to yell, and that's how you're going to get in there. No sense. Jesus, 5,000 people. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this little boy's lunch, two loaves, two fishes, five loaves, and we're going to feed 5,000 people. It made no sense. But here's the thing. At times when what God is telling you makes no sense, here is what you need to remember. Obedience is your responsibility. The outcome is God's. All you need to do is do what you're being told. You don't need to worry about how it will play out or if it will play out. That's on God's shoulders. Obedience is our responsibility. I do my part, and I trust that God will take care of the rest. There are going to be times where you may see why and other times that you are not going to. But if I am faithful, then I'm going to follow the promptings of God to do what he's calling me to do. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you've heard God talk to you and you're like, I don't want to do that. Obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. Maybe God puts someone on your heart and a call or a text or a card or a gift is exactly what that person needs at that actual moment. Maybe God is telling you to step out into an area of ministry and it's absolutely terrifying you. But that's when you prove your faithfulness. Maybe God calls you to give something up for a season or to give it up for good. And you know that is going to be a sacrifice on your part, but that's okay. Because you know what? I'm following God. I have pre-decided that no matter what happens, I am going to be faithful. And that is how I am going to show my faithfulness. Some of you have been coming to Genesis for a while and you've kind of been just sitting back. And maybe God's telling you, you know what? It's time for you to take up an oar and start rowing along with the rest of us. There's a lot of people on Long Island who need Jesus, and we need you to help us to get to let them know about Jesus. We need every participant this morning. So if I am deciding today that I am going to be faithful, it means I'm going to be faithful in how I treat people. It means I am faithful in how I spend resources. And finally, it means I am faithful in how I respond to God. Let's pray.